want to do through me to each and every one of you guys. And I know this is going to be difficult. We're all going to have to stretch. We're all going to have to think, talk about things we don't always enjoy talking about. I know you're like, man, I showed up for the generosity sermon. Dang it. <laughs> but the truth is, giving is part of discipleship. And if we believe that Rockbridge is the church that we all believe it is, that we're here, we're, you saw how many people are involved. We put foot to pavement. We make a difference in our community. And we think that our debt has kind of chained us and it's kind of prevented us from doing some of the things that we'd like to do. And so we're not building a big, beautiful building or anything like that. We just want to unchain ourselves from this debt and live debt-free so that we can use 100% of our resources to making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. In 2000, or 1984, there was a man named Daryl Barton, and he was arrested for a crime he did not commit. And even when he was arrested, he wasn't that worried about it because the person who had committed the crime was 5'5", he was 5'10", he didn't look anything like him. In fact, he was in a whole other state when this crime had been committed. But for some reason, in less than two hours, a jury convicted this man, Daryl Barton, and put him away for life. And as you can imagine, he was crushed, but he had remembered that his grandmother at one point in his life had told him, someday you will need Jesus. And so he began this prayer, Jesus, if you will just get me out of this place, I don't deserve to be here. Jesus, if you'll just get me out of this place, I will commit my life to you. Finally, in 2008, justice was served and Daryl Barton was released from prison. And you can imagine, I mean, imagine what the way, where the world was like in 1984, Versus 2008, cell phones, internet, all the things that we take for granted, he had no idea about. In fact, he relates a story that he went to the bathroom and he couldn't figure out how to make the water work. Because before, you know, you had to use these faucet things. Now there's these like electronic sensors. The toilet would flush and he'd get all freaked out because there was a sensor. But then he decided to fulfill the promise he made to Jesus, to commit his life to the work of of Christ. 2012, he went to seminary, and now he serves as the associate pastor of the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection, one of the largest churches in our country. What a great story about how Jesus breaks our chains. And I know that every person in this room has probably experienced that to some extent. And part of this sermon this morning is to invite you, if you have not had Jesus break the chains that are, that are just suffocating your life, or that sin or doubt or fear or whatever, if you've not given your life to Jesus, there's no better day than the present. But there are other chains in our life. And we need to continue to work with Christ throughout our life to ask Jesus to continue to break those chains. We see chains of hate and greed and violence, and yes, even chains of debt. So what we're going to start is we, as we go about this campaign, today is about a day of gratitude, a day of thankfulness, to be thankful that we have a God that has broken our chains, our chains to sin, to the life that we used to live, and invited us into the life abundant. Because even though the life for Christ requires sacrifice, even though that it is difficult, it's the best life we can possibly live. So today we're going to talk about what it means for Jesus to break our chains and the gratitude and the response that we are called to have and the thankfulness. And we're going to invite each of you to respond in gratitude for what God and Christ has done in your life. Our scripture today comes from John chapter 8, starting with verse 31. 
Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's one of those great lines in scriptures, right? You will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And then I love the response here. Then they responded, we are Abraham's children. We have never been anyone's slaves. How can you say that we will be set free? That is the most ironic statement that I think anyone could say. Here are a people who had literally been slaves and set free by God through the Exodus. Not only that, but after a time when they had not been faithful to God's covenant in their lives and in, as a people, God had allowed the Babylonians to come and conquer them. And, and from that point, one powerful nation after another had conquered them until at this time, you had the Romans who were oppressing them. In this moment, when they're saying, we are free, they were literally slaves to the Romans. Romans decided anything about. They decided how much to tax them. They decided what they could and couldn't do, and they could take their life at any moment. While it wasn't actual slavery, it might as well have been slavery. And they say to Jesus, what are you talking about? We don't need to be set free. And then Jesus answers, I assure you that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave isn't a permanent member of the household, but a son is free. Therefore, if the son is free, you will be, will be free. Or the version that many of us have heard, those the son sets free is free indeed. So it's interesting, Jesus goes right to this idea that we are enslaved to our sin. And he says, but Jesus, through Jesus, you can be set free. We can break those chains. No matter what it might be, we can break the chains. All that you have to do is say yes to God and yes to a relationship with God in your life. The one the Son sets free is free indeed. Now there's a lot of things that we need to be set free from. The first, of course, is sin, right? And that is when we say yes to God, Jesus breaks those chains. And no longer does sin have power over us. The irony is, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that we allow that sin to have control in our life. Jesus has won the battle. The victory is won. We could actually live a sinless life. I think this is actually possible. If we let the power of the Holy Spirit abide in us and guide us, and one of the things that Jesus did, it is possible for a human to live a sin-free life. But we choose to put those chains back on, don't we? We choose to allow sin to have purchase in our life. And it takes a long, hard work, obedient work of discipleship to work it out. Salvation is free, but the life of Christ can be difficult. We all know this. If you have spent more than five minutes as a follower of Jesus, you know that Jesus' expectations for you are high. Now again, this is not about your salvation. This is what Jesus expects of you and how Jesus expects you to live. It's a whole Sermon on the Mount of how we're called to live. And we are supposed to be set free from things, but it requires sacrifice on our part. Some of the things that the chains that we allow back in our lives hate. I can't believe that I'm up here talking about this again. I feel like every single week I could talk about this. Last week on Easter Sunday of all Times and days, 300 people's lives were lost because some group of people hated another group of people. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, it might have been Friday, someone who was anti-Semitic went into a synagogue and shot it up just because they hate people who think and believe differently. 
It doesn't matter if you're Christian or Muslim or, or Jewish or, or what your faith is. It seems like there are people who are trying to kill you. There are probably people who are trying to kill you if you don't believe anything. It is so tragic. Why do we hate so much? Why do we hate people who think and look and act differently than us? Jesus provides a better way. He wants to set us free from hate. He says, love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Live sacrificially for your neighbors. But not only that, and this is, I think, one of the most revolutionary things that Jesus says and does. He says, love your enemies. Love people who want to hurt you. Love people who despise you. Love people who, don't, who can't stand you. We are supposed to be humble people of love, and that is what the world needs. Jesus is trying to set the world free from the chain of hate because all hate and revenge does is create more violence and more death. And at some point, we as humans have to say enough is enough, that we will not hate one another anymore. Another thing that, another chain that we have allowed in our life is greed. We have fallen victim to the scarcity mentality and believe that there is not enough, that we have to hold on to everything, every little bit of wealth in our life because there is not enough. And that is simply a lie and it's not even true. Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, has $170 billion. And I'm not saying this to hate on Jeff Bezos. I would love to have $170 billion. For $10 billion, you could provide clean water for the world. One person has the ability to provide clean water for the world. For $30 billion, you could feed everybody in the world. One person. And then you would still have $140 billion left over. Can you imagine? Actually, my math is wrong. $120 billion because 150. That's a lot of money. I couldn't even imagine spending a million dollars, let alone a billion dollars. But it's not just on people like Jeff Bezos who have a ton of money. It's on you and I who have bought into the scarcity mentality. What Jesus wants, what God wants, is for us to share what we have, no matter if it's little or a lot. There's nothing wrong with having a house, having a car, having some things that you enjoy. But are you sharing it for the good of God's kingdom? Are you sharing the resources that God has given you to make sure all have enough? We don't have a resource problem in this world. We have a distribution problem. And it's all because we, people, believe in the scarcity mentality. And we believe that we have to hold on to water's ours when what God tells you, the more you give away, the more you will be blessed. I don't know how that works. It's not like there's some sort of formula, like you give this amount, you know, you, like the guy on TV, you know, send in your money and then all of a sudden you'll be blessed tenfold. I'm not telling you that. But I will tell you, if you live a life of generosity and you believe that the more you send out, the more blessings you receive, that is the reality of the life that you will live. There's so many things that chain us. And one of them is debt. Our culture has become addicted to debt, Right? credit cards, mortgages, buying cars that we don't really own and paying them off over time. I'm a big believer in Dave Ramsey's financial peace. So if you haven't ever taken it, I highly recommend it. One of the things that he says from Proverbs that he quotes is that the borrower is slave to the lender. The Bible is very, let's say, not in favor of debt. It's very much like, be very cautious about this. The borrower is slave to the lender. And one of the other things Dave Ramsey says is that you have to sometimes live like no one else now so that you can live like someone else 
later. And what he's saying is you have to sacrifice now, right, to live the life that you want to live. And when I interpret that, I don't see that as I want to live sacrificially so I have a lot of money when I'm old. What I see it is I want to live sacrificially so I can have a lot of resources to do a lot of good in this world. In his financial piece, one of the things that he suggests after you pay off this debt is to start a fund of fund giving. Now, that almost seems opposed because when we talk about giving, we get really nervous in the church, right? We don't want to talk about that. Don't talk about giving. The people might walk away. But he talks about giving sacrificially and being excited to give away money. And this is an idea that you give above and beyond what you give to your church. And so we created a fund that we would put money in each month that we were excited to give away because we all have those people in our life, whether it's someone going on a mission trip or maybe it's your neighbor person, who's ra- neighbor kid who's raising money for school or maybe there's a, a, a cause in the world that just touches your heart. Mine is clean water, as you've heard time and time again. I'm passionate that we're going to keep running until the last year you can is put down. We all have those things in our life that we're passionate about. But how exciting it is if you have money saved aside that you have given sacrificially to to just give away and be excited and say, I want to bless you. Or maybe it's a neighbor that lost their job and you want to help pay their bills for a month. How wonderful would that be if we were free from all of our debt so that we could participate in that? There's so many things, so many chains that we allow back into our life. So many things. And the truth of the scripture is that if we allow Jesus to set us free, that is the most incredible blessing that we can experience, but it's gonna take sacrifice. Salvation is a free gift. The life of Jesus requires sacrifice. In fact, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And he's not talking about to the beach unless there was a hurricane and you're going to go help people. He's talking about to the place that he was crucified. And yet he also says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think what he means by these two concepts is that Jesus is going to ask you to live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. He's going to ask you to sacrifice And in that sacrifice, you're going to experience something so wonderful, so amazing, so abundant, that that's the best life that you could possibly live. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to require things of you that you could never even imagine. But it's the most abundant and wonderful thing that you could ever imagine. So we're going to take a little time to think about gratitude because we all should be incredibly grateful for what God has done in our life, for what this church has done in our life. And so in your GPS, you were given a little thing, a little insert, and of course it's not in mine. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Michelle. It says, I am thankful for. And so what I'd like for you to do in this time is just to write down a few things you're thankful for. And then when you come up for communion and you going back to your seats, what we'd like for you to do, there should be a little clothespin. We want you to hang them on on these rows so we can all see the wonderful things that we are thankful for. But as we're doing that, I would like for you all to go ahead and start writing down the things that you are thankful for, whether that's from God or from Rockbridge. But I wanted you all to shout out, we've done this before, shout out some of the things that, we, that you are thankful for, and then we are going to respond, thank you, Lord. So what are some things that you are thankful for? 
We thank you, God. Or we thank you, Lord, yeah. What else? What'd you say? Offspring. Offspring. <laughs> we thank you, Lord. Granddaughter. We thank you, Lord. <laughs> we thank you, Lord. I heard something over here. Great granddaughters. We thank you, Lord. For a, we, for a church family. We thank you, Lord. Amen. We thank you, Lord. What else? A job, a job right? <laughs> Me too. We, we, we thank you, Lord. Randy? We thank you, Lord, that we're here today. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for the community. We thank you, Lord. Anything else? Oh. I'm going to let you deal with him, Tommy. We thank you, Lord. Healers and healing. We thank you, Lord. Our freedom. We thank you, Lord. Scott, did you have something? The church and your family. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Opportunity to get to do God's work. We thank you, Lord. I hope that you are in awe, as I am, of what God has done in your life. And I want to tell you all, through this next three weeks, we're going to ask you, what is the Lord asking to do through me? And yes, we are talking about financially. And that may make you uncomfortable, the pastor's up here talking about money. But I want to tell you this, I would not ask you to do anything that I would not do myself. And we're going to be one of the first people up here making a sacrificial gift for God's kingdom. Because we believe in the mission of this church. We believe in what God is doing through you. And we are committed to that. So whatever it is, whatever at the end of three weeks that you get that answer, what does God want to do through me? We just want to encourage you to step forward and make that commitment. Because if you look at your list, God has done amazing things in your life. And we just have to respond. And, I, and we say these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Randy. Come in, young people. <laughs> so this is the part of the service that we 